word came from um, a talk that I gave in February at an encounter. Mindy and uh, Don Ann and I got to be able to do that one. It's just not staying, y'all. Is it my hair that's in the way? Maybe that'll do it. Okay. Uh, you look at me and I'll adjust it. There we go. Um, Sherry Schaefer from Dimmit was the leader. And uh, Mindy got to be in the prayer room. And so she had some intimate, intimate intercession times. And Don Ann gave a beautiful talk on communion, and then we got to share that, and it was wonderful. And Sherry asked me if I would do the talk on vision, and I kind of gulped and said, okay. And I just knew immediately that the Lord was going to stretch me, that there was something there. I just knew there was a stretching coming. And... Um, after I got through, well, before that, she had asked if we would all let the overarching theme of the week be God's original intent. And everything that we spoke on, you needed to have a little bit of that in there. And so that was our uh, premise, you know, as we did our talks. And uh, before I ever received any information from her, of course, the very first verse that I thought of was that Proverbs 29, verse 18, where there is no vision, my people perish. And... Um, she sent me the little outline that we get when we're going to do a talk. And sure enough, that was at the top of the list. So I thought, okay, Lord, I'm on the right track with you. And then after the talk, uh, Royce Riggins, of course, was there. And uh, he said, now, Marsha, I want you, he said, I'm going to tell uh, Dorman that you need to share this one. And I said, okay. And he said, better yet, you just tell him. And I said, okay. He says, promise? I said, yes, sir. I'll tell him. So I told Dorman, but I said, give me a couple of weeks because there's more, there's more I need to see that the Lord was still showing me some things. And, and I know for us here, um, you know, I look out and I just look at a very mature, seasoned group of people. Um, but maybe somebody needs to hear this. I did. There were some things that I learned, and I thought, oh, my goodness, Lord. And so I get to thinking about this, and I'd, I'd be in the morning putting on my makeup, and this morning was one of those, and i just get so quivery with the Holy Ghost. I'm surprised my eyebrows aren't painted on up here. <laughs> and so I just thank you, Lord, for your word and for being faithful and that it's alive. It is alive. And so today, we're going to look at God's original intent, and it seems like Kent and I always go to Genesis, but that's all right. The Lord's saying something through that, and there is always more for us to learn. And so after I look a little bit at God's original intent, then we're going to go to that verse in Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, my people perish. And so just bear with me, the old school teacher and me, I want to give us a visual I'm going to let this, this circle, this unbroken circle, be the eternal realm. And then I want this line, thank you, Lance. Yeah, you come up and fix that. Um, this circle is going to be the unbroken 
ever-ending, never-ending, never-beginning, the realm of I am. This is the realm where heavenly realities are. This is the realm of God. That is his kingdom, his rule. And it is the realm that his destinies for us and our purposes have come from. And so we're going to do this for the eternal. And then I'm going to have this line over here, this flat line, so to speak, for the natural, the Adamic self nature. And we're going to see a big difference between these two. And, and you know them, but just for the sake of visual, I want us to do that. So all of the verses are either out of the Amplified or the Passion today. So back in Genesis 1.26, God said... Let us, and we know that's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit speaking, let us make mankind or human being in our image. After our likeness, let them have complete authority over the fish of the sea, birds of the air, the beast, and over all the earth, over every living thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image and likeness of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And we know this one. God blessed them and said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, or bring it into subjection. Using all its vast resources. I liked the Amplified because it said that. Use, using all its vast resources in the service of God and man. So that was his original intent, that we serve God and we serve man, and everything was there provided for us. Genesis 2.15, he put the man in the garden, told, him, told them to tend it, guard it, keep it, and he goes on to tell Adam about the trees. So you can eat any of the trees that you want, but this one tree of good and evil you cannot eat. For in that day you shall surely die. And so we know the curse that came upon them. And at that moment that they ate, we know that sin and death entered the picture. And they were set outside of the garden. In Hebrews 2, 5 through 8, we find out that this mandate has never been rescinded to take charge, to be fruitful, productive, to multiply. And the planet will one day be under the rulership of men and women who are under the rulership of God Almighty. Um, let's think about the garden. So in the garden, you know, was that the eternal realm? I don't know, just a question. But in the garden, there was innocence, there was no fear. There was precious communion with Father. Everything that they had need of was provided, wasn't it? And all they had to do was just take care of it. They were created with a spirit and soul and a body. They were created in his image, in his likeness. In um, Ephesians 1, 4 through 11, I want to read that right quick to us. Um, Ephesians 1, 4 through 11. And he chose us to be his very own. So I want you to think about the original intent of God. He chose us to be his very own, joining himself to us even before he laid the foundation of the world. 
Because of his great love, he ordained us or predestined us so that we would be seen holy in his eyes with an unstained innocence. So there we are in the garden, an unstained innocence. For it was always in his perfect plan to establish us. Whew. To adopt us at his, as his delightful children through our union with Jesus, the anointed one, so that his tremendous love that cascades over us would glorify his grace. For the same love he has for his beloved one, Jesus, he has for us. And this unfolding plan or this unfolding intent brings him great pleasure. Since we are now joined to Christ, we've been given the treasures of redemption by, by his blood, the total cancellation of our sins, all because of the cascading riches of his grace. This superabundant grace is already powerfully working in us. So think about this, precious ones. This grace abides in here, doesn't it? Now it comes down to this natural realm. But this grace is his. The redemption by his blood is this kingdom realm. Through the revelation, okay, let me see, releasing with us uh, all forms of wisdom and practical understanding. And through the revelation of the anointed one, he unveils his secret desires to us. The hidden mystery of his long-range plan. Woo, Lord, I just get so excited. Which he was delighted to implement from the very beginning of time. And because of God's unfailing purpose, this detailed plan will reign supreme through every period of time until the fulfillment of all the ages finally reaches its climax when God makes all things new in heaven and earth through Jesus Christ. Oh my goodness, when you start reading those things in the light of God's original intent, it gets exciting. Passion Bible, um, Psalms 139 verse 13 says, You formed my innermost being. So again, we're just thinking about his original intent. You shaped my delicate inside and my intricate outside and wove them all together in my mother's womb. And in the footnote in the Passion said, God places an eternal spirit inside that conceived child within the womb of the mother, covers the life, sends the child a guardian angel, who watches over him or her. And the word wove or knit can be translated to cover or defend. So he's been your defender all along. Even when you were in your mother's womb, he was your defender. You even formed every bone in my body when you created me in the secret place, carefully, skillfully shaping me from nothing to something. And you saw who you created me to be before I became me. Before I'd ever seen the light of day, the numbers of days you planned for me were already recorded in your book. And it talks about the book of life. In Psalm 69, he says he names us as his very own. Revelations 13:8. Our names have been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. 
tell me he doesn't have a plan. Oh my goodness. Jeremiah 1.5. Of course he's speaking to Jeremiah, but the very same could be said of us because he didn't love Jeremiah any more than he loves you and me. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you and I approved of you. He chose us. And it goes on to say, you have a chosen job to do. I'm paraphrasing. But every one of us have that destiny and that purpose. 1 Peter 2.9, but you are God's chosen treasure, priest and kings. We are a priesthood of kings, and we're a kingdom of priests. Remember the original intent. He said, serve God and serve men. What does a priest do? He, pre, he, he ministers to God, and he ministers to the people. That's serving. A king, a godly king, will rule over the people with goodness and kindness and protection, with defense. He defends them. And so we've been called from before the foundation of the world to be that priestly nation. Um, Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28. So we are are convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together to fit into God's perfect plan of bringing good into our lives. So Paul's speaking to the believers. He's saying, for we're his lovers who have been called to fulfill his designed purpose, his plan. For he knew all about us before we were born, and he destined us with God's mark on us from the beginning to share the likeness of his son. This means the son is the oldest among a fast, vast family of brothers and sisters who will become just like him. And isn't that what he intended in the garden? He said, be fruitful, multiply, make many of you. I like family. He likes family. Having determined, this is verse 30, having determined our destiny ahead of time, he called us to himself, transferred his perfect righteousness to everyone he called, and those who possess his perfect righteousness, he, glor- he co-glorified in his son. Yay, Jesus. He even chooses our appointed time in history. Because Acts 17, 26 says, From one man, Adam, and we know in this realm of history, we have been placed at specific times in history. He made every man and woman, every race and humanity, and he spread us over all the earth. He sets the boundaries of peoples and nations, determining their appointed times in history. He's done this so that every person would long for God, feel his way to God, and find him, for he's the God who's easy discovered. Isn't that precious? It's through him that we live and function, and we have our identity, and our identity is this eternal realm. It is not this one. Our lineage comes from him. Our nature comes from him. We are his offspring. And the, it used this word genos. The Greek word means, you know, we get our word genes from there. And it means kindred, family taken from his genes. And we know that we have his DNA living in us. We are totally new creations. 
And so when we get that verse that says we're in this world, but we are not of it. Precious ones, that needs to sink so deep in us that we know, that we know, that we know, that we know. Psalms 115, 16 says, The heavens belong to our God. They are his alone, but he has given us, Adam's sons, the earth, and put us in charge. So he's got a plan. Detailed plan from before the foundation of the world, and it involves you. You were chosen. You were predestined. He's been your defender from the very beginning of your life. Oh, my goodness. Doesn't that just... Yes, Lord. Okay. We're going to move. So there's the original intent, that heavenly reality. Okay, let's come over here. Proverbs 29, 18, and this is from the Amplified. This is the one I first looked at. It says, where there is no vision, my people perish. And I just thought that always meant, well, they're going to die. I never got to thinking on, well, if you're a believer, you don't die. You're already dead. You know, I hadn't put that together. I just saw, well, yeah, they die. Without vision, they die. But then I got to thinking, do I really have vision? And yes, I do. And you do too. And you're going to see it. In the standard dictionary, vision means insight. In the Strong's Concordance, vision means a mental sight, a dream, revelation. And it's talking about Holy Spirit-inspired revelation. It's not something you just open up and you figure out. You're given that revelation. And it comes from a root word, which means to mentally perceive to have a vision of, to behold, to look, to prophesy, to look, and to see. At the New Year's, uh, Mike and Tana were over and another friend, and we were on YouTube and we were watching and just trying to find some prophetic voices. You know, what was God saying through them for the new year and for the new decade for 2020? And Tony Brewer, I had never heard of him, but it was his church, and he had three others on this panel, and they were prophetic, and they were just sharing what God was showing them for the year 2020 and the decade. And we've heard much of that, of what God was saying. But Tony said something interesting, and he was talking about something else, but he brought this up. And he said he'd been on the Isle of Patmos where John, the apostle, was uh, exiled. And he said it's interesting that island is all rock. There's no trees. And he said when they drop the prisoners off, they don't leave a Roman guard there's not, there wasn't a Roman centurion around at all. They just dropped the prisoners off. And they knew they would not escape because before they dropped them off, they gouged their eyes out. And he said, unless John, now I've never heard this, Dorman, but um, you know, I'm just passing on because it, it meant something to me. He said, if John was not the exception, then John's eyes were gouged out as well. So it gives us a whole different perspective in Revelation 1.9 when he says, I turned to see. Let me just read it right quick. It's in verse 9. I, John, am your brother and companion in tribulation or persecution. The great pressure for all believers. 
the kingdom and the patience that are found in Jesus. I was exiled on the island of Patmos because of the ministry of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit realm <laughs> on the Lord's day, and that was not Sunday. It just meant this is the glorious day of the Lord, and I was in the spirit realm. And I heard behind me a loud voice sounding like a trumpet saying to me, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches. And he lists them, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Theatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And here it is, verse 12, he says, when I turned to see, when I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, I saw golden, seven golden lampstands. And he goes on then to give us the whole book of Revelations. So he was seeing into this realm, wasn't he? He was seeing with eyes that are not of this realm. He was seeing with eternal eyes. That revelation was given to him. Okay. Um, now let me w move to the word perish. Um, I'm not a Bible student, and sometimes I just get lost even in the Strong's <laughs> Concordance. And I'm thinking, oh, Lord, I'm just a plain old wife, mama, and grandmama. You're going to have to help me here because I don't understand. But it was amazing what I saw in the verse or in the word perish. In the standard dictionary, it means to decay, to disappear, to waste away to nothing, to die, to cease to live. So that's what I thought it was, just to die, to cease to live. And then Jim and I were talking about it one day on the way over. It was in February. I was getting ready for uh, the talk at the encounter. And I was telling him about the original intent and talking about parish, what I was seeing. And he says, well, I've got an app on my phone. Look it up and see what it says in there. And here's just the dictionary meaning for parish. To decay in such a way that it can't be used for its original purpose. And I thought of my, the original intent decayed in such a way that we can't be used for the original purpose. In the Strong's, this is what really threw me, perish means, get this, to loosen, to expose, to go back, to make naked, to uncover, and to refuse. And so as I pondered on those, of course, when I looked at to go back immediately, I thought of Lot's wife. And sometime you need to go to Genesis 19 and just reread the story because I didn't quite have my facts correct from my Sunday school days. But angels had come to Sodom and Gomorrah. Several tra uh, chapters earlier, the Sodom was mentioned for the first time, and it says the men of Sodom were very wicked. And then there's a lot that happens in between. Abram is still Abram at that point, and he becomes Abraham. But Abram at that point and his nephew Lot 
you know, travel together, and, and their possessions, their livestock, their family was so much they had to separate. And that's when Abram said, well, Lot, you look around and you decide which way do you, you want to go. If you go left, I'm going to go right. And so Lot chose. And he chose a valley that says it looked like the garden of the Lord. But we know he settled close to Sodom. Okay, um, so the angel of the Lord, several chapters later, Sodom and Gomorrah has, have gotten so evil, God has given these angels an assignment. You go and destroy, destroy the two cities. And so, uh, of course, Abraham pleads, is there 50 men? Don't, don't kill everybody. Is there, and it gets down to five men, and he, I'm going to destroy it. And so he said, but my nephew's there, please. And, and so the angels of the Lord that have this assignment go and they see Lot sitting in the, the gate. And Lot invites them to come home to, to his home and feeds them, washes their her feet. And then you know the story. The men of the community come and beat on the door. Give us those men that are visiting you. And he's playing, no, they're under my protection. Please don't. And the angels have to pull Lot back in and shut the door, and they supernaturally blind the men of Sodom so they cannot find the door, and eventually they go on their way, and Lot and his family are saved. And so the angel again the next morning, he says, you must get out, get your family and leave. So Sodom goes to his son-in-laws that are, you know, estranged or betrothed to his two daughters and says, come, we've got to gather up our stuff and leave. And they're making fun of him. And so the angels again tell Lot, you've got to get out, take your two daughters and your wife and get out. And I guess he was still dilly-dallying because the angels took him by the hand and they supernaturally placed him outside of the city. And he says, now you see that mountain over there, go to the mountain. And, and Lot kind of complained, but it's so far. And he says, well, there's a city, go toward the city. And so they started on their way, but that's when Lot's wife looked back. And the scripture says she lingered. What was she looking back toward? Was it her beautiful home? Was it her group of friends that she enjoyed socializing with? Was it the marketplace where she could go and visit and buy? You know, just why did she look back? Was that where the treasure of her heart was? And so we know what happened when she looked back. She became that pillar of salt. And to this day, it's the Dead Sea. So it goes on, goes from being like the garden of the Lord to that Dead Sea where nothing grows. Okay, in the Septuagint, that same verse, Proverbs 29, reads, where there is no prophetic seer, the people become lawless and cast off restraint. In the Passion, it says, where there is no clear prophetic vision, and we know that is vision given from the Holy Spirit. Where there is no clear prophetic vision, the people quickly wander astray. And the Hebrew means to let loose, be stripped, be made naked. And there was that again. And I thought, what, Lord? But the very first reference to being made naked was in the garden. 
that one little act of disobedience and Eve shared it with her husband and he received that one act immediately they realized were naked and they ran and hid and tried to cover themselves. That is wandering astray. That is perishing. Okay. Passion goes on and adds another little section that most translations don't have. But when you follow the revelation of the word, heaven's bliss fills your soul. John 3, 15 and 16, we know those verses. Out of the Passion, it reads this way. So the, man of red, so the Son of Man is ready to be lifted up so that those who truly believe in him will not perish, but be given eternal life. For this is how much God loved the world. He gave his one and only unique Son as a gift. So that now everyone who believes into him, I got it, Norman, everyone who believes into him will never perish but experience everlasting life. And that word uh, perish is apolumi, and it means to destroy fully, to die, to lose, or mar. And, you know, when you cut yourself or you've raked the yard and you haven't done it all season and you have blisters or you have a cut and you end up and it heals, but you've got that scar. Your skin is marred. Sin does that to us. It mars us. But we know that Jesus is coming back for that pure and spotless bride and he sees us this way without any mar, without any anything. He sees us clothed in his righteousness. Okay, um, let me, yeah, to apolumi means to destroy fully, to die, to lose tomorrow. Mar, and it comes from two root words. Apo, which means separation, departure, cessation, or reversal. And again, I went back to God's original intent. When they ate and they disobeyed, the curse came, there was a total reversal of what they were before. Fear had entered the picture for the first time. They realized they were naked. God had to clothe them. Then the curse comes upon them. He has to set them outside. Don't you think that was a ceasing of what they knew before? A total reversal? Can you imagine the fear that they experienced right there? But what would the fear be like when they had to live in it? Wow. Um, then it comes from another root word, which means to winnow or to grind to power, powder. And so, of course, I thought that verse out of Matthew where he comes with the winnowing fork. And so I had to look it up. John the Baptist is speaking to the, or to the people, and he says, Jesus comes with a winnowing fork in his hands and comes to his threshing floor to sift what is worthless from what is pure, and he's ready to sweep out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into his granary, but the straw he will burn up with a fire that can't be extinguished. Sounds like perish to me. John 10 Verse 27 in the Amplified says, The sheep are my own, and they are listening to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never lose it or perish throughout the ages. To all eternity, the Amplified gives us more, says to all eternity they shall never by any means be destroyed. No one is able to snatch them out of my hand. 
And that's that one verse that just speaks to you and knows, no matter what, I am his. Once saved, always saved. Yes, I see you shaking your heads. Passion, uh, 2 Peter 3. Contrary to man's perspective, the Lord is not late with his promise to return, but rather his delay simply reveals his loving patience toward you because he does not want any to perish. Apollumi. He doesn't want anyone to be marred, to destroy, to not fully come to their potential, but he wants all to come to repentance and everyone to experience his grace. 2 Corinthians 4 Verse 3 says, even if our gospel message is veiled, it is only veiled to those who are perishing. Now, this one's a different word, and we're going to talk about it in just a minute. Verse 4, for their minds have been blinded by the God of this age, leaving them in unbelief. Their blindness keeps them from seeing the day spring light of the wonderful news of the glory of Jesus Christ who is the divine image of God. And so we know Satan uses trickery, deceit, accusation, slander to blind people's hearts. So that's why Dorman for years has preached kingdom. The Holy Spirit will not let him loose from that. And it's okay. It's because we need to have that revelation of kingdom in us because that's the revelation knowledge that we must have in order not to perish. We must. So thank you, Dorman, for just keeping on preaching it. We need it. And I'm thankful that just for a few years, Jim and I have been able to be here because in the denomination, we never received that. I received salvation And knowing that my sins were forgiven and when I died, I was going to go there to the eternal. But past that, I didn't have anything. I didn't have life. I was in the world and I was living of it. Now, I was saved. And if I would have died at that point, I would have been with him. But I was perishing. And it wasn't until I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit that this beautiful realm began to open up to me. And so the seeds that were, that were sown in 1995 when that great move of God came, man, the seeds were entered into me. I felt it. I felt it. It was like a sponge, and I was just absorbing. I didn't even know what it was, but I knew I wanted it. <laughs> now I know it was kingdom. And Dorman has come by and just watered and watered and watered. And those things are starting to grow and come alive. And oh my goodness. Oh yes, Lord. Thank you for kingdom. Thank you, thank you, thank you for kingdom. Okay, so the blindness. Satan uses that. It's so important that we know our identity in him. Comes from diaphero, uh, which means to rot thoroughly. Root word thero, to shrivel, wither, to spoil, to ruin, to corrupt, to defile, to destroy. Sounds like what the accuser does to you, isn't it? And it comes from another word, diabolo. Sounds like diablo, devil. And sure enough, it means accuse. He's the accuser. Um, 
2 Corinthians 5 is where we're going to go next, but I want to read you a little bit of what um, Paul's speaking. He's talking to the believers, and this is what he's saying to them. Many see 1 Corinthians as a letter, so this is the introduction to 1 Corinthians. Many see 1 Corinthians as a letter of correction. Indeed, many errors had crept into the belief system of the church of Corinth and the spiritual walk of its members. Sounds like that could be today. Some of the issues Paul needed to address to inclu included living godly in a corrupt culture, being unified as one body without competition, maintaining the priority of sexual and moral purity within the church, understanding more completely the role of spiritual gifts in the context of church. Sounds like today. So in verse uh, chapter 5, verse 20, he says, speaking to believers, so we tenderly plead with you on Christ's behalf Turn back to God and be reconciled to him. For God made the only one who did not know sin to become sin for us, so that we who did not know righteousness might become the righteousness of God through our union with him. And we know this is the picture of the wonderful divine exchange, isn't it? So this is the revelation that we must have in us. One more verse about not having vision. This is Hosea 4.6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you, the priestly nation, have rejected knowledge. Now, he was speaking to the Israelites, but could that be us? Aren't we the priestly nation now? And my people are destroyed. Now, this one. means, this one blew me away when I saw it, this destroyed means to be dumb or silent. Hence, to fail or perish, to destroy, to be brought to silence, to be cut down or off, to be undone. So we could read it this way. My people are dumb and silent for lack of knowledge. For some generations, that's what we've seen, isn't it? I've come out of one of those. I was dumb. And I just parroted back what I was hearing. Because I didn't have revelation knowledge. Okay, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you, the priestly nation, have rejected knowledge. And that one means, that knowledge means to ascertain by seeing by instruction, by being aware, by being diligent, by discerning, by being endued with. What are we endued with? Oh my goodness, the power of the Holy Spirit and His wisdom and His revelation. And He causes that revelation to be made known. Oh Lord Jesus, the priestly nation is rising up. This comes from just something I read the other day. Children who never grow up are not productive in real life. 
The kingdom of God lifestyle provides guidance for children to grow up into real life and become productive or fruitful. The term spoiling means to take away life from them and cause their life to be ruined or wasted. Think about spoiled fruit. It's only good for tossing. You throw it away because there's nothing you can do with it. He goes on to say, a grown-up child is a spoiled, useless adult who's had their life stolen. Do you know some of those? Yeah, I do too. They must have someone or some group hand them the necessities of life. And we see that entitlement all around us. People must be born again and grow up in real life kingdom of God lifestyle to be transformed and exchanged into the protective sons and daughters in the kingdom of God. And that was God's original intent. So how am I going to bring this <laughs> and this together? I think more and more it's time for us that we can't straddle the fence. There's no middle ground, and we cannot have one foot in this, even though we're in here, but we're not of it, precious ones. That's what I'm trying to see and, and let you know that we cannot be of this. We have to be of this. And, and we have to have both feet so firmly planted in kingdom that that life is coming forth. So how do we do that? Matthew 6, 23, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things. Everything that you have need of is provided in kingdom. Colossians 2, 6 says, In the same way you receive Jesus our Lord and Messiah. So how did you receive him? By faith, you believed. And so in the same way you received Jesus, our Lord and Messiah, by faith, you believed, continue your journey of faith. Continue believing. Amen. You know, I think it was a shock to me in, in 1995 when I received the Holy Spirit and I started seeing the word and power come together. And supernatural things by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I saw people totally refuse. Here was the glory of God being displayed before them, and they refused. And some even laid on the floor in the, under the power of the Holy Spirit, and they tasted, they tasted that goodness, and they got up, and they went on their own merry way, and they refused that because they couldn't control it. They didn't understand it, so they refused Kingdom is by hearing, believing, and receiving, even if you don't understand it. I read this. The kingdom within becomes the kingdom in this world. So the kingdom in us has to become so big that we are affecting not only our marriages and our families, our communities, our state, our nation, the nation's. The kingdom within becomes the kingdom in this world. In Colossians, Paul was encouraging the believers to focus on the wonderful hope of the gospel, Christ in us, and reminding the believers not to turn aside or fall victim. He was reminding them, don't, don't be in this one. 
Don't be in this realm. Don't fall victim to those who would minimize the gospel of Christ. Hold Christ first place in everything. And Dorman and Jana, thank you. You've held that kingdom first place. And there was a cost. And you paid the price. Because many refused. Many turned back. But you kept on. And thank you because that's what we're needing in the days ahead. More than anything, that's what we must have. To the point that Jesus becomes our all in all. And so thank you, thank you, thank you. Because this precious couple have not minimized the gospel of Christ, have they? Colossians 3. I'm going to leave you with just two more short ones and then we're through. Thank you, Lord. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Dorman sometimes moves so fast on my... uh, Sword drill experience from when I was a kid doesn't work. I just have to close my Bible and just listen. This is Colossians 3, uh, verse 1. Christ's resurrection is your resurrection too. This is why we're to yearn for all that's above. This is another. How do we do that? We yearn for all that's above. For that's where Christ sits enthroned at the place of all power, honor, and authority. Feast on the treasures of the heavenly realm. Fill your thoughts with heavenly realities, not with the distractions of this natural realm. Your crucifixion with Christ has severed the tie to this life, and now your true life is hidden away in Christ Jesus. And as God, as Christ himself is seen for who he really is, who you really are will also be revealed. For you are now one with him in his glory. Live as one who has died to every form of sexual sin and impurity. Live as one who has died to diseases and desires for forbidden things. This means sorcery, power, control including the desire for wealth, which is the essence of idol worship. When you live in these vices, you ignite the anger of God against these acts of disobedience. That's how you once behaved, characterized by your evil deeds, but now it's time to eliminate them from your lives once and for all. Anger, fits of rage, forms of hatred, even self-hatred, cursing, filthy speech, lying, Lay aside the old Adam self with its masquerading and its disguise. For you've acquired new creation life, which is continually being renewed into the likeness of the one who created you, giving the full revelation of God. And then the last two, just two verses out of Romans. Romans 8. This is verse 13, 12. So then, beloved ones, the flesh has no claims on us at all, and we've no further obligation to live in obedience to it. For when you lived controlled by the flesh, you're about to die or perish. But if the rot get marred, 
not, a bit, not able to come to your full potential and your full destiny that was given to you from before the foundation of the world. Boy, it's black and white, isn't it? But if the life of the Spirit puts to death the corrupt ways of the flesh, you're about to die. Oh, now hang on, hang on. I've mixed it up. I'm looking at two different lines. For when you, are, when you live controlled by the flesh, you are about to die. But if the life of the Spirit puts to death the corrupt ways of the flesh, we then taste His abundant life. The mature... Mature children of God are those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. And you did not receive the spirit of religious duty leading you back into the fear of never being good enough, but you've, re you've received the spirit of full acceptance. He's enfolded you into the family of God and you will never feel orphaned. For as he rises up within us, the spirits join him in saying the words of tender affection, Abba, Father. For the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us and he whispers to our innermost being, you're God's beloved child. You are his possession. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let me just pray for us. So, Father, in all of this, I just, I thank you for the places that you've shown me that I've been dilly-dallying in the world and I've not stepped over in both, with both feet into the realm of kingdom. I thank you for your kingdom within. I thank you that I know that we have a great destiny and purpose in you. And you have formed that in us. You gave that to us before the foundation of the very world. And Father, I don't want to miss my full destiny. I don't want to be caught short or caught unaware or be, be messing around here. Let me with both feet and everything within me, let me surrender to the kingdom within. And so I just give you permission, Holy Spirit, to come and show me by your precious love where I may be missing the mark. And for all of us, there's just another place. There's more maturity to come about so that we can help those around us become real life, productive children of God. Serving God and serving man. So thank you, Father. Thank you for your word. Thank you for opening it up to us. And I just praise you. Thank you. Amen.